Caution to listeners, the following podcast includes content of a graphic or distressing nature. I had, I had spent a couple weeks making a plan and trying to get out of our home with, with my daughter safely. And uh, we, we were being followed a lot. And so it was, even just leaving was very scary for me. First, she would have to call. So we do an on-phone assessment. We've got our questions to assess if they are mandate. And if they are mandate, then we go about trying to figure out how we're going to get them to the shelter. If they don't have car or, you know, you live where there's no buses or they're coming from a different part of the province, you have to kind of navigate safety plan, make sure that they have a safe way to get to you. My daughter's father was, he, he would take parts out of the car so that I couldn't use the car and leave. Uh, he took my bank card. He took, um, you know, various things that would make it difficult for me to go anywhere with her. And then when we, you know, had found out that he was actually watching the home every day, so he was pretending to go to work and actually watching our home. So, um... You know, so those kind of factors made it very, very scary for me to leave and very difficult. Somebody Must Say These Things, a podcast made possible by the Transition House Association of Nova Scotia. Chapter 2. In this chapter, we are looking at the process of escaping abuse safely and what it is like to suddenly find yourself calling a transition house home. In our last episode, we unpacked the complex issue of violence against women and how leaving an abuser is not a simple or easy decision. It's the most dangerous time for victims of abuse. Therefore, for women like Ginger, whose story will guide us through this podcast, Escape requires meticulous planning. Luckily, these women are not alone. Transition houses are there to help women effectively and safely plan to leave their homes. For transition house workers, like Emily Stewart of Third Place in Truro, these plans are part of their everyday routine. They help women plan to leave and make sure the transition houses provide the rest. You know, we would have contact sometimes with women leading up to it and we do what we call a safety plan and it's it I won't go too into detail because if I say all the things that go into a safety plan it's no longer that safe if yeah making sure that you have like your prescriptions your health card your children's um, birth certificates any custody paperwork any of those things ready to go should you need to leave but a lot of the times you know you leave with what you have and um, we can provide, you know, the basic necessities like a toothbrush and towels and all those things. However, you know, they often leave behind all of their furniture, all of their clothes, their pets. The police will provide um, a pickup window where they'll accompany uh, women to go retrieve their stuff 
on certain times under certain circumstances. So sometimes they can go back and get it. But a lot of the times women show up with like their purse and their children and not a lot. So we have to make sure we have um, diapers and baby formula and all, all those things on hand because we know like that's not the time to be thinking like, you know, when you're packing for a trip, you're always going to forget something so important. But when you're like fleeing, <laughs> the chances of forgetting or not being able to grab something because it's not safe. Uh, so, you know, you might have a half hour window where he went down the street to go pick up another case of beer. And so you have to get all your stuff and get out the door before they get back. Uh, once I discovered that there was a shelter in the area, I one night, like late in the night, I called the crisis line so that I could talk to somebody and kind of have some help figuring out what to do. And so um, I was able to talk to one of the counselors and she talked to me about what the situation was like that I was living in, what some like possibilities were for me to leave. She talked to me about the shelter and that that was somewhere that we could go and be safe. And she explained, you know, how I could plan safely to get out, that sort of thing. I told her that I was being, yeah, I was actually being watched all the time where I was, so it was very difficult. We left the home and, and it was, for me, it was just about getting to the shelter and being safe. And so it was a very scary drive. It was a long drive because I had been watched so much and followed and those kinds of things that I had to make sure it was safe. So, leaving is dangerous. It puts women in vulnerable situations and it requires meticulous planning, which is why FANS is there to guide women through this process. It also usually means leaving virtually everything behind, including any sense of normalcy. Arriving at a shelter does not mean it's always smooth sailing. Helen Morrison, the now retired executive director of Willow House, describes how the hundreds of women who seek refuge at the shelter each year adapt to their new situation. Here at Cape Breton Transition House, we can have uh, at any given time we can have oh, let's say eight to uh, 17, 18 women and or women and children combined. A shelter is a communal living situation and so for the women who come here it's difficult for them as well uh, because they're having to coexist and live next you know live within a, in a building with people that they don't know. Um, and sometimes, you know, that maybe even they have a little fear of. Transition houses and women's shelters give women the opportunity to reassess their circumstances in a safe environment. The staff is also ever updating their policies and procedures to make sure they are helping women in the most effective way. This means being trauma informed. Emily explains. First, we would show them around and just get them familiar with the space a little bit, introduce them to everyone who's there, staff, residents. Um, and then after that, we would uh, sit down and do an intake with them. 
So uh, we've just revamped our entire intake uh, procedures to um, really focus in on trauma. So normally at this point right now, we kind of split the interview up. Like you get the the important stuff, like their date of birth, their, if they're on medication. So like if they had allergic reaction to a bee, you know how, um, how to help them if the EHS came, um, those pieces, and then slowly kind of work toward getting into like, well, what brought you here? What, you know, how has the trauma of what you've been through impacted you? And what we found is a lot of, uh, the women don't like, understand that they've been traumatized like you know the symptoms are like difficulty sleeping irritability like and they're just like oh i just thought those were like things that were wrong with me and we're like no these are things that have happened to you and how your body has needed to respond and then your mind has to you know make certain um decisions about what information can get through so the first couple days are usually just getting their bearings sleeping a lot or not sleeping at all it's not as scary as what women feel like but coming into the shelter is scary it's intimidating you're afraid and while transition houses are there to help women dawn ferris of autumn house understands why women express fear and concern about coming to a shelter even if it does mean being safe from their abusers. It's complex. And lots of them still love their partners. Uh, they just need to know, to be safe. So um, we don't tell women what to do. We, we give a space that they can figure out what they want to do and we support those decisions. Uh, so I think maybe one of the biggest misconceptions is that we're all man haters, that we all want women to leave their men. Uh, if they just leave these abusive men and move on to finding good men, they'd be fine. And um, I think in reality, uh, lots of women want some downtime to figure out their next steps and the hopes that their men get help. Once we landed at the shelter of course it was you know it was scary and intimidating and all those kind of things because I didn't know what it was going to be like but I knew that it was a safe place for us and so the staff were so warm and so caring and so welcoming that I just instantly felt like that release of of pressure and knowing that you know we were going to be safe uh, once we got out um we were able to to land at the shelter. I had her diaper bag with me, a change of clothes for her, and that was it. Like, I had nothing else. The shelter was extremely full at the time when I was there. Um, there were a lot of women and children there, and uh, it was quite overwhelming for me in that moment. Um, but the staff were so incredibly welcoming and supportive and, you know, their goal was really just to, to have us, you know, understand what they were there for and know that that was a safe place for us and, and that we could rest and that any of the needs that we had, they would kind of support us with that they could. Transition houses are not there to tell women what to do. They're there to give women room to think, breathe, and just be. 
And while the environment can be a little chaotic at times, the staff are always there to offer support. And support takes so many different forms, as Helen Morrison explains. Every morning when I leave for work, my husband says, so how does your day look today? And I say, I have no idea um, because I have what I know I have on my calendar um, and I have what I hope my day will look like. But when I walk in the door, I have no idea what I'm going to be faced with um, because it can be anything, like I say, the quietness of it and the idea that they can exist within a place where no one is yelling at them and no one is uh, possibly going to harm them and they don't have to be hyper vigilant all the time about what that other person's response is going to be to them. And that's a really difficult thing for them to, to you know, let their guard down and to just sort of try to relax in, uh, in the atmosphere because, you know, in their relationships or in their homes, they have been hypervigilant for so long. Um, and abused women tend to be very aware of uh, others around them and how to try not to you know, walking on eggshells is something that we talk about a lot. And so it's kind of that, I, that's how they live. Rest and relaxation is a luxury many of us do not appreciate. The mindset of ever vigilance that women who have experienced domestic violence live in is not an easy state of mind to leave. Transition houses are there to provide the space to find a new normal one where threats, manipulation, and violence are not part of the daily routine. And while stopping to rest and acclimatize is important, women sheltered by transition houses are still on a tight schedule. Emily Stewart goes into more detail. The typical stay is, is a six-week uh, stay, so by the time you get your feet under you, you need to be applying for um, income assistance if you're not employed. You need to be looking for apartments. You need to be um, dealing with family court. You need to be dealing with legal aid. If you've chosen to pursue charges, you're going to have to be dealing with police officers, giving statements. You know, they will kind of walk around like deer in headlights for the first little while. Um, getting back, like some people never had roommates. And then all of a sudden you're roommates with strangers and you have to share a kitchen. You have to share a washroom. Um, so... I think it's a lot of just getting to know people um, and then quite quickly usually they form very intense bonds because of the shared experience that brought them there and because of their level of isolation. So um, sometimes those relationships can be really supportive. Um, so and then if you if you work you would just go to work as per usual. Um, if not you would um, just spend time in house. Uh, depends on the level of risk. Like any woman who is in any type of abusive relationship is at risk when she leaves. But there are certain characteristics that create more risk of lethality. Transition houses used to be called like safe houses. You'd go and you stay in that house. Like you don't leave because what if he sees you on the street? But now it's because we have the laws and the change in culture that we do, um, they can go out in the community and all those things. And we would just safety plan with them and say, do you have your cell phone on you? Is it charged? 
um, all those things to make sure that um, if they do run into their partner, they're um, going to be okay. You know, we had people to check in with us every day to see how we were doing, ask what we needed. Um, it's difficult when you're in an abusive relationship to have people to talk to that you can just openly talk about what's happening because for family members, of course, it's quite emotional and uh, difficult for them to understand those dynamics. So to actually have people that can hear, hear your story and actually understand all those little nuances that are scary or upsetting uh, and really just sort of be there to listen uh, was really helpful and they also were able to for me identify behaviors that I didn't know if they were normal or not because when I had reached out for help on a number of occasions it would seem to me that other people weren't really worried about what was happening so which made me think well maybe this is normal maybe this is how relationships are and I'm I'm not really understanding um, how all of that could be, but, you know, you sort of do internalize and start to blame yourself for, for those things. So, um, so it was really an education about, you know, relationships, what is healthy, what isn't healthy. Um, and then, of course, for the first time in my life, I felt like I had people asking me, you know, what I wanted. Healing from abuse is a long, difficult, complex process, and sometimes it begins by being able to acknowledge that abuse has occurred. Acknowledging that what has happened to individuals like Ginger isn't normal, it isn't okay, and most importantly, it isn't their fault. Places like transition houses offer haven for women having to deal with this and reassures them that life can be better. One of the barriers that keeps women from reaching out to THANs and other organizations is the misconceptions about shelter life. It isn't easy, and it often means isolating yourself from your old life. However, as Helen Morrison describes, coming to the shelter can also be incredibly liberating. So to be somewhere where they're not going to be harmed or they're not going to be yelled at, um, it's really unusual for them. And many of them, uh, especially at Christmas time, because at Christmas time, you know, you were always getting the questions from people about, oh, it must be so difficult to work there because everyone must be so sad because they're not at home and they're, you know, and uh, because Christmas is seen as a time in our, in our society, Christmas is that sort of movie and uh, which is highly, highly uh, misleading in its own. But, uh, but a lot of the women who are here at Christmas time or any other holiday time, but Christmas in particular, they tend to talk a lot about how, uh, although they're sad because they're not in their homes and they're sad because they may not be with family, but they tell us that it's such an amazing place to be because there is celebration here, actually, and that, you know, they they wake up Christmas morning and the tree hasn't been thrown out the door um, in a, you know, in a 
rage or drunken rage from the night before or that they don't have to worry about that, you know, Christmas Day is just going to be a disaster for a lot of people. That's something we kind of take for, we quite take for granted. Uh, and that for so many people, Christmas is a very difficult time. Offering women the right kind of help is also the duty of transition house workers. Every woman is different, and being flexible to their wants and needs is crucial to offering trauma-informed support. The needs of clients can be deeply diverse, and for safety, it can mean wearing many different hats. We have uh, educational meetings. That's when we kind of go through, you know, signs of abuse, how to uh, recognize it. Or sometimes the clients, like we had a client the other day who came up to us and said, can you talk to me about what it means to be pansexual? Because my daughter just came out to me and I want to support her, but I have no idea what it means. So we did. We The staff sat down with her and went through, you know, the whole uh, LGBTQ2S uh, scope with her to help her improve that relationship with her daughter. So uh, it's always, <laughs> yeah, it's always different. And for clients, I think it can be, uh, it can be a very difficult time. Uh, sometimes clients have come from being in the system through their whole life. So being in another facility, no matter how trauma-informed or trauma-aware or, you know, supportive you're trying to be, your presence and your existence is just a trigger. Like they don't want to have staff monitor like around 24 seven being like, what are you doing today? <laughs> like that's not really how a lot of people live and want to live. I think it's definitely challenging. Um, however, you know, we do our best to, like I said, have fun and, uh, keep it light when we can because when it's when it's dark it's really dark so you have to offset that somehow so we do try and make sure that um we keep this space uh fun and uh light and places you know and opportunities to do a lot of self-growth and healing at the same time for the first time in my life, I felt like I had people asking me, you know, what I wanted in, in my life and what, you know, what sort of path that I wanted to go down and knew that I would have support in, in what that was. Thank you for listening to Somebody Must Say These Things. In our next chapter, we will speak with Ginger and her daughter, Jordan. I definitely don't remember much from the shelter time. Jordan is now an adult, but was just an infant when Ginger fled her abusive partner for good. For me, it wasn't a question that I had to leave. I knew it was unhealthy. I knew it wasn't safe. Um, I started to see, <laughs> I started to see the impact that it was having on Jordan, um, on my daughter. Protecting oneself from an abusive partner is hard enough, but when your child is at risk too. Escaping is even more complicated. FANS exists to eliminate violence against women in Nova Scotia. Their organizations provide a full range of support services to women and children in a safe, supportive environment. 
and provide survivors of violence with opportunities to learn about available resources and alternatives to facilitate informed personal choices and decisions. THANS is not 100% government funded by the provincial or federal government. This needs to change. Go to thans.ca to learn how you can make a difference and help end violence against women. Podstarter.